Welcome to the Single Dad Reboot Podcast, episode 23. This episode is part two of the interview I had with my man, Nick Deontay, from a couple weeks ago. And this is the episode that we talk about investing and personal finance. It's going to be super helpful for anybody who is struggling with any of those things or who just wants to learn more information about any of those things. So just sit back and enjoy the ride. Now that... uh. I guess, you know, your baseball career is not going to take off in the pro direction. You're not going to have the huge million dollar windfall. Right. Where did uh, your interest in finance pick up? Was it, I guess, later on down the line? a lot later, to tell you the truth, dude, right? Um, But I was always a saver. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, I always was like, I kind of budgeted. I got lucky coming out of grad school. Like, grad school, I really had a budget because I was a a grad school assistant. So I was maybe making like 12,000, 13,000 a year. Uh, I was living in a graduate housing on campus and I, I, I figured out like, okay, I could pay my rent, pay my car note, my insurance, have enough to eat and have like a few hundred bucks, maybe like 200 bucks at the end of the month. Right. Like just enough. And then, but DJing, I was always piecemealing money, a gig, mixtapes, yeah. something right. Extra few hundred bucks. It went a long way. I substitute teach once in a while. Um, and so that just taught me how to really keep a budget for myself. Uh, I didn't have like expensive tastes. I wasn't like a big traveler. Like, you know, stuff like that gear didn't really like impress me. Right. I knew to kind of just keep it like level. When I got out my first full-time teaching job, I was living with two other guys. We were paying like $300 a month rent. I was putting away like a full paycheck each month. Yeah. I really wish I had someone tapping on the show. I'd be like S&P 500. <laughs> I didn't. Right. So I just built a big cash pile. I did that for a really long time. I started workplace investing a few years ago, but it was small. Again, you know, I was teaching elementary school and I feel there was only like five or six guys in the building. I, I, I feel like these people are going to probably call me on this. It was, I found my experience. It wasn't a popular topic amongst the female teachers at work. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, one or two of the older ones were like, Oh, you should start the 403B. It's good. But they didn't really like fully explain how it worked. And I felt like the people coming in, I thought they were like insurance salesmen, like that were in it as opposed to just being like, they, because Philadelphia had like, um, different companies that you can invest your four or three B with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and eventually I did it about two, like maybe two, three years in and but like at a small level, I could afford more, but I still wasn't thinking like, okay, the compounding, like no one really sat, even though I was really good at math, nobody yeah. really sat me down about like the compounding. So I just started it like passively a little bit. I come to New York city when I was like 28, I get it. I'm like, okay, I know when I sign up, I got to do this because I knew it was like important. But again, I only put like a few percent of my salary, like 5%. One of the people at work, like a, like the assistant principal, was like, "Hey, did you sign up for this?" Like at the time, they were giving us an eight point two five guaranteed re- percent guaranteed return, unheard of, right? Yeah, it's seven yeah. percent now. We have an option that's seven percent fixed, right? So now I have like all my money going in there, basically. Yeah. But um, he, I wish because I listened a lot to him. I wish you just remember like how much you putting. Hold on, let's look at your check. You could put more if you really would have said it like that to me. I would have upped it. If I really would have opted, who knows? I could have probably been like, I'm probably done teaching, right? Like, right. I'm not joking, right? Like, because yeah. I have the propensity to save because I was making all this extra money coaching too. So um, when my mom passed away is when I when when stuff freed up for me. So my mom passed in 2014, and that's when I got more serious about investing. Mm-hmm. And I looked around, there was nobody here. My dad was gone. My dad was gone. My mom was gone. It really was just all me. I didn't have to check my decisions with anybody else. Yeah. And I realized like, because of the household we grew up in, money was tight. We were always kind of looking over shoulder, my, our shoulder for like my dad. He had taken money from us when we were young, like cleaned out bank accounts and stuff. And wow. hearing as a little kid, you realize subconscious lingers with you later in life. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, you always like held on to cash because it was safe. And you're like, well, I might lose in the stock market, but nobody tell me, you're like, dude, you have enough cash, like put half of that in. You'll still be cool with cash, like enough to save for a rainy day. And like, even if it dips, eventually it's going to go up, up, up. Right. And I missed a lot of the, I missed a lot of the run. I missed a lot of the run coming out of the recovery. Right. Yeah. Um, so once my mom passed, I got more serious, started looking at it. I felt free to be like, I can put 20, 30,000 in. It's not going to kill me. Mm-hmm. From there, then I started doing more. I started reading. I started like I made some mistakes, like investing some single stocks. I was like, all right, I did a little yeah. bit, made a little bit, lost a little bit. I didn't understand capital gains taxes yet, right? Like, oh, I made a little money, I sold right away. I'm like, yeah. Now my friends like, you just realized you gave up 25 percent of that in capital gains right now because you held it for like four months. So a thousand dollars you made really like seven fifty. I'm like, like, didn't you know what I'm saying? Like, didn't yeah. really understand that. But that's okay. You learn. Just like I said with sport, like you make some mistakes, you learn, you get better. Right. Uh, and then I really started to get deeper. And I was like looking at my money more. I'm like, all right, I got enough cash. Up the investing. And so like 14, 20, 15, 16, Trump passed some of the laws with taxes. We're like, oh, less tax going on my check. Good. That's all going into like my, my retirement. I hit some like milestones teaching wise. I got some raises. I got some extra credits above my master's. My salary went up. I'm like in, 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 in. And then uh, I started some side businesses also like the last few years, it's made me more money on the side mm-hmm. on top of my coaching and things like that. So yeah, I'd say after my own pass, I got into it more because I had nobody else to check. I realized now these are really for my, my decisions and that now like I need to own this and I'm, Oh, guess what? Like sports I'm behind again. I need to catch up. Yeah. So where did you go? I guess when you started out, where did you go to get, get your information? Like, you know, I used to listen to Susie Orman a lot, right? And again, yeah. I listened and I took no action. I'd be yeah. home some Saturday nights, like, because either like I wasn't DJing or whatever it was, or, like I went out or I didn't go out or didn't have a date, whatever it was, right? This was, you know, when I was in Philadelphia, I'd listen, I'd watch a show and, you know, she'd be, you know, people like, can I afford this or what my retirement? I'm like, I had $2,000 in retirement. I wasn't thinking like I need to up this because I was like, got all this cash. Like, I got all this money. Like, I didn't realize it wasn't working. Like it wasn't, it was losing yeah. money sitting there, right? Yep. I watched, I watched Jim Cramer a lot and still couldn't pull the trigger. Like I, I just couldn't because I was afraid I was going to lose something when in reality, like I probably wasn't going to lose. Like even if I invested a quarter of the savings I had, right. Even went to zero, which it wouldn't. Right. I still would have had like majority of my money. Um, and so I read that and I did a lot of reading online. So as I got older and now in the last like five, six years, a lot of reading on online forums, message boards, Twitter has a lot of really good like accounts that I started to follow. I started to understand the tax laws a lot better. Now because I do some small business stuff myself, like, you know, I figured out those ways of like expenses. When my mom passed, she left me like her house. I rented mm-hmm. part of the year. So now like, oh, real estate depreciation. Wow, wait. Now every year I get to take some of that house off my taxes just because it's being used as a rental. Like that's huge. Yeah. Right. It, it covers some of the costs of like running it. Right. So I figured out all this stuff, but it took me five or six years. Um, I mean, I can give some recommendations if you want of like where to go and read, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. All right. So I think a lot of people should start like John Vogel, who was like um, Vanguard. Right. Mm-hmm. His book of investing is a, a really good place for a lot of people to start. I always goof the title, but you can just look it up. John Vogel's book of investing. That'll come mm-hmm. up. There's a form dedicated called like the Bogle Heads, B-O-G-L-E Heads form. And they have like a few wikis that have really simple to understand portfolios. Like they call like a three fund portfolio, which is basically like total stock market fund, a total international fund and a total bond fund. 
and you just find like a mix of those three, set it and forget it and just invest it like the percentage that you're, you know, relatively comfortable for yourself investing. It doesn't really have to be any part of that. Again, it's like sports. It's being consistent. Every month you're investing, you automate it out of your paycheck. If you have money over because you're making extra money off of whatever, your podcast, your second job, selling stuff, whatever it is, you know, and you're over at the end of the month. Okay, do I have my emergency fund? Great. Whatever's over that, invest, 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 because that's what's going to continue to get ahead. Money sitting, I do have some money in my cash account. I'm like, do I want to buy a place or when there's a next kind of downturn? I put some in at the downturn in March, right? Mm -hmm. But when there's a next downturn again, I have some more money to go in because I got to put it to work, right? But now every month I'm over, I just, I keep going. It's regular out of my account. So like I, the stuff that's coming out of my check is already out of my check. I don't think about that. I budget off of what's not, what's not in. Pay myself first. So yeah. pay yourself first. Um, some people aren't a huge fan of like retirement investing. Oh, you can put that money to better work in real estate or invest it outside of the thing. I like to tax advantage of it. And like, hey, you know, hopefully we'll all be old enough one day to enjoy our retirement and not have to work all the time. Right. And if we want to get there, like our money has to work for us or we're going to be working for it way much longer than we care to do so. Yeah. So you don't generally, I guess, invest in like single stocks. It's usually just like funds. I, I, you know what? Like I ask everybody, how do you really know when it's time to get in and get out? Yeah. Most people can't answer that right. because the truth is we, we, we're not clairvoyant. We don't know the future. We don't know when to get in and get out. Um, you might have a cutoff for yourself. Like, all right, if I'm up 200%, I'm out. Or I'm up 300%, 200%, I'm going to take a quarter or half it off the table. But when you get there, how many people really actually can take something off the table when they set that? Um, yeah. But it's also diversification, right? Now you're, you're concentrating your risk in Apple, Facebook, Google, Tesla, fill in the blank, right? Mm -hmm. um, why concentrate all that risk when you can pick up those companies in, a, in an index fund, have your risk spread out over 500 companies? Um, maybe short term, your, your return might not be as good, but like long term, Right. I mean, it's it's difficult to beat the stock market. The stock market is pretty efficient. It's just yeah. a lot of people see like, oh, you know, I'm trying to think of a stock that like really jumped. Right. And I, I uh, all right, let's look what happened with GameStop. Yeah. Right. I mean, some people legit became millionaires this year or made a half a million dollars because they invested it at GameStop when it was four dollars and they yeah. sold it three fifty. Right. So maybe they put a few thousand in and now it went up 80 percent. You put in five thousand, and now, now, now it's four hundred thousand. That ha a lot. That happened. Yeah. That happened to quite a few people. Yeah, it did. Right. So everyone's looking for that because people don't. Hey, we tell you everything's related to sports. They don't want to do the work. They don't want to be patient. They want everything to go up. And so, it's, it's single stocks are attractive. It's something to talk about around the water cooler. I own like three of them because I was up. I got them at a good price when I was investing. Like in some single stocks, and I just kept them like more long term yeah. because I think they're good long term plays. They re but now they represent such a small thing in my portfolio. It might be like two percent of my portfolio, right? Mm -hmm. I have very little concentrated, so I don't really per se care what happens because they're not going to move the needle. What's going to move the needle is me continuing to contribute so that the compound in interest compound growth is going to work. And you're going to get that in low low fee index funds. I, I really like Vanguard because their products are very low fee, um, whether it's their total stock market, their S&P 500, their bond funds, whatever it is. I find their funds very easy to work with. And as long as you take electronic delivery, they don't charge you for transactions. Yeah, so that's, that's pretty big. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's easy. It's easier than people think. You just have to be consistent and have a plan.
And the more you get involved with long-term investing, you realize a lot of that money you don't need right away. I'm not talking about retirement account. I'm talking about like in a taxable. You might not need it right away. If you have your emergency fund and you have six, eight months of cash set aside, everything else can go in the market. If you deplete your emergency fund, okay, then maybe for a few months you build that back up and then you go back to investing in your, you know, your big one. Now, people can't get ahead. That's a different story, right? Then we need to spend yeah. time talking about budgeting expenses. You know, do, do you go with less house? Do you downsize, right? Do you, do you trade that car in for something used and smaller? Although now used cars have really ran up, right? Yeah. Like what sacrifice are people willing to get ahead? Like, do you have a $600 a month car payment? Why? Yeah. Right? That's crazy. But then don't say you can't, like, so you're investing in that car that's going to depreciate, but you're not going to invest in your future. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> How many people do we know that's doing that though? They have a big car yeah. payment and they're negative every month. Too right? Many. Or or some people still might be paying for the college debt. I feel bad if folks are our age and they're still paying the college debt off, man. I, like that's a big albatross that some people took on. But if that's the case, then you know, knock that like knock that out. And look, now in your case, you talked about like, all right, so divorcees, right? Or people are divorced. Yeah. This is that's a whole nother ball of wax that like I don't have a ton of experience in because I'm not in that position. But I can empathize if somebody had, if they have a support payment that they have to make, guess what? You're paying that first. Yeah. And there's, because legally yeah. that comes out first. Yeah. Then you got to figure out a way to pay yourself second and then third, pay everything else. Yeah. Right. So maybe <laughs> one of the things for, you know, some of your listeners who are, are, are divorced, it's like, you know, it, it's hard for me to say because, again, being outside of it, some people are resentful. They're like, geez, I'm paying all that money, and I know maybe it's not fully going to my child. Mm -hmm. But but guess it still is. Like, they're still living with that person, right? It's still going there. Now, if you feel like the other person, whether it's, you know, your ex-wife or ex-girlfriend or the other way, it's ex-husband or, um, uh, you know, ex-boyfriend, right? Um, and you feel like, well, it's using to inflate their lifestyle, that's like that's still kind of out of your control it's like the courts decided that like you could go yeah. back like are you going to be frustrated i have some friends who pay like a significant amount of child support right yeah and like all right then they're living like now what choices do you make the rest of the way so that you still can somewhat get ahead for yourself yeah so like we really have to be real with ourselves in those situations and say hey my obligation is my child first me second and that's the choice that like we make when we have children and maybe not everybody realizes that when they're 21, 22, if they have a child or even right. when they're 30, they have a child, they maybe yeah. don't realize that like, that's about the kid first. Yeah. Even if you don't want it to be that way. So you got to take care of that obligation first and then make your budget around like, all right, if I'm paying a thousand dollars a month, I don't even know what child support is nowadays. And it varies so much. Right. Yeah. It but does. Let's say it's a thousand bucks and I have to pay a thousand dollars a month. Okay. I know every two weeks, $500 like is literally being direct deposited out of my check. Now I got to work with everything else, right? How do I try to like contribute to my retirement and pay my rent and my expenses? And then I'm looking around like, now am I spending on myself out of pity or to fill some sort of hole? Like, do I have the big car because I'm upset because a thousand dollars a month is going out? Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, it's tough. Like I know like my experience. So I took a, a long a long route to college. So I didn't actually get my degree until 2009, which was right. a few months before my wife and I split up. So I am still paying off my school loans because I didn't finish till much later in life. And it was a lot more expensive when I finished. So I'm still working to finish mine off. But as I was starting to 
get back into a spot where I was paying my back. I'm also having to pay a lawyer. I'm having to pay child support. So I'm, you know, trying to, in a house I can't afford, trying to sell that. And that's like right after the housing, you know, bubble burst. So there's a lot of people don't realize that, right? Like, Oh, who had to sell during the housing crash? They're like, here we go. Life happened. Yep, exactly. So, I mean, back then, I mean, it was just, a miserable situation for me trying to figure all this stuff out plus navigate you know just the whole divorce thing and you know single parenting and co-custody and all that stuff you must have been in like survival mode yeah it was i mean to be honest when i was living in the house i mean there was you know times where i had to figure out you know what bill i was gonna have to pay it there was really just no way around it so there was times when you know electricity would be cut off but fortunately for me it was never when my kid was with me so but there was really just no way around it. So, I mean, did, luckily- Did you wind up in a situation with the lawyers? I follow like a few like divorce attorneys on TikTok and she's always talking about how like, what winds up happening sometimes in divorces is that they just want to fight. Like they're, it's so an- animus. They wind up spending so much money on like having their lawyer to go fight like trivial stuff during like the divorce proceedings. And they wind up spending like an excessive amount of money on, you know the lawyer's fees because instead of like trying to work towards something they're like trying to fight over like a minute detail and they're paying you know a few thousand dollars every time the lawyer goes to court to like fight over this thing or that thing Uh, so luckily it it wasn't really like that just uh my ex-wife she didn't really have i think a realistic view of what was involved in divorce like i think i guess the best way to explain it and I'm not trying to sound like an asshole, but she, I think she sort of looked at it as like a sitcom on TV. Like the people break up and then they just stay friends and they get together every once in a while and just have a bunch of laughs and share some drinks and the kid turns out great. But she didn't think about, oh, well, we're going to have to get, you know, courts involved. We're going to have to do custody schedules. We're going to have to talk about child support, you know, visitation and all this stuff. So there was a couple of times where we were close to the finish line and had everything hammered out. And then she was like, uh, well, maybe this isn't so great. So with a lawyer, you've got them on retainer. So you get to the finish line a couple of times, that retainer has gone. So that's Here's when you got to start. Box. Yeah, that's when you got to start chipping in and in. So, I mean, we were to the finish line like twice. And the first time she didn't have a lawyer, I shouldn't said, get a lawyer, then we'll do this. But I mean, I didn't know anything about it. So I didn't. So yeah, there's no manual. Right. They gave her the papers and she was like, I'm not signing this. And then she got a lawyer and then the lawyer changed everything. Then I thought we had an agreement, went back and then there was no agreement again. And then finally we got it done. But the whole process was like, I'm trying to think it was about three and a half years before everything was like officially over and done with, but it wasn't like, it wasn't really like bickering back and forth. It was just, yeah, I think she just really had unrealistic unrealistic expectations of how things were going to be and how they were going to go. Like, I think she thought it was just going to like, almost just like a boyfriend and girlfriend breaking up. Like, okay, we don't want to be together anymore. We're done. Right. But yeah, there's all, that's a legal contract involved. Like it's, right. it's not that it's not that cut and dry. How did you, um, you know, you talked about the finances. So, you know, I, I, you know, I said earlier about like, Hey folks, our age, like I just can imagine when you're forties, it's tough to pay off like yeah. loans, you know, to get ahead. Um, did, did you like pick up extra work or what did you do to, to, you know, to try to get ahead once you got over whatever the emotional stuff of, of, you know, of, of Mm -hmm. either, you know, going through divorce and processing all this, like 
yeah, no, well, we got to go back to court again. Oh, no, lawyer says they want to redo it. Like, I got to pay more money again. Like, what did you wind up doing to try to get yourself, like, either emotionally or financially ahead during that time? Or was it like, was it for the, those few years, um, you know, there was this like a uh, constant state of like uncertainty. I mean, for I'm trying to think from, I guess about September, 2009 through about February, 2011, I was pretty much just living by the seat of my pants until I got the house we lived in sold. Um, well, when I sold, we pretty much broke even. So there was nothing coming out of that, but I was able to move into a place and end up saving a few hundred dollars a month. Um, and that was a big step. And then also too, because I had gotten my degree in 2009, um, there was actually a pretty good timing between getting my degree and selling the house and moving. I actually got a pretty big promotion at the company that I still work at now, um, based off of the degree I got at the beginning of 2011. Mm. And it, it was a pretty big raise. It was like a, like a 15 K a year raise. So between that moving into a smaller place, I was able to get a foothold there and start, you know, paying off, you know, credit card debt and paying off the lawyer bills and making sure that, you know, I was able to pay child support and everything. Um, I mean, it, it was slow and it took time, but I mean, now everything's great finally, but yeah, it took a while, but it was just something that you just got to keep plugging away at. And there was a lot of times that I had to do without, um, but, you know, I just made sure that my daughter was taken care of and that she had everything she needed, that she was happy and that you know, that she had no idea that I was struggling. I kept, you know, all, all that she, away from her as much as possible. Face. Yeah, exactly. Like she didn't know. I mean, Christmas was good. Her birthday was good. She always had food. She always had, you know, the best toys, best clothes. And I, you know, was making sure that I wasn't overextending myself and doing that. So yeah, not everyone is always willing, you know, is always willing to do that. But I, I, I feel like that I watched my mother do that as a single parent. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and if we did struggle, I know when I was really young, we struggled because I would hear her talk about it. But when we're older, I realized I was telling my sister the other day, like, I realized all the stuff my mom kind of did without extra flashy clothes, this, that, and a mm -hmm. third dating like that was done. You know, she rarely dated, you know, eating fancy, eating out fancy. It was like, she'd take us out. But like, you know, she was like, I'm going to do this. She never traveled on her own. She wasn't like, I'm going to stay with your aunt and uncle for a, a weekend. I'm going to go. Never. Not, not once. Right. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, and, you know, my mom figured out a way and it was, she was, she sacrificed her own stuff, you know, for myself and my siblings, right. To, she didn't make big money, but when it was birthdays of this, she always had enough, you know, I got a Nintendo game. I got, you yeah. know, she paid for whatever baseball or basketball. There was always money for it. I just probably didn't get the, you know, $300 Jordans, you know what I'm saying? Or yeah. whatever it was like that. But when it was time for going to new sneakers, they were there. You know what I'm saying? Holidays, birthdays, you know, gifts under the tree or whatever else it was. Like, all that stuff was in effect. It just maybe wasn't to the degree of, like, what some of my friends had, right? Yeah. But at, when you're 12, can you – how much – you see your mom sacrificing, you don't understand the depth of it until you get to adult. And you're like, oh, wow, I realized all the stuff my mom gave up, right? Yeah. You I hope mean, your kids pay it back somehow. Not so much financially, but, like, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of being a parent is really just doing the best you can. And I mean, to be honest, sometimes the best you can do just isn't very good. But you like know, you said, you were in survival you mode and, and yeah. you know, eventually, you know, life has a way of, of, of turning stuff around. Like, I yeah. think if people continue to persist, like we can get ourselves out of a dark place. It just may not happen as fast as we want it to. Yeah, of course. Of course.
And but, I think for me, like I, I needed it, um, to be honest. I mean, it was a terrible thing to go through and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but I mean, I, I personally needed it. There was a lot of bad habits I had just, I mean, in terms of spending and just, you know, how I was living, just unhealthy lifestyle and everything. Um, I, I needed it to just sort of straighten myself out. So I yeah, can't really say I, a I bad mean, thing about it. You know, look, when it comes to like the whole idea of finance and, and budgeting, some of it's emotional. So how do we try to take some of the emotion out of it, which is why I say try to automate as much as possible. Yeah. Um, because even like when you get to like single stock investing, most people can't get around their own emotions. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they just yeah. can't get around their own emotions. So it's just like do it every month consistently. All right. You look at your budget the first of the month. Like I started I have an app I use consistently. I was in a Dave Ramsey for a while. I'm not as huge of a fan as I was now, like then, but he, he got me like more regimented. Mm-hmm. And like literally making every dollar count, like the app is the every dollar app. And I just use that to track my budget. Every time I spend something, I just go and just put it in. And I try to set out categories of being a month. And now it's consistent. I kind of know about what I spend. But, at, you know, at the end of the month, it allows me to look like, oh, you have $1,200 remaining. Good. That's what's getting invested on top of whatever. Or, you know, okay, I have more money coming because I sold a bunch of stuff. But, you know, I had to take my cat to the vet. All right. I'm not sweating the $200 bill because I know, you know, it's it's there or like, if I really went wild in one area, like, okay, all right, maybe I'm not eating out the rest of the month. Like, yeah, I, you know, I, I try to balance it that without trying to reach for my reserves so much if I don't have to, because I don't want to get in that trap of like, I'm, oh, I, I continually over and instead of like trying to make up that money either by like doing some overtime or maybe doing some more e-com or like, um, instead I'm just grabbing from like my reserve account. Like I, I really try to leave that for like, it's gotta be a wild emergency. And I had some stuff prop up over the last year even with the medical stuff i'm like okay i just put that into the budget and i kind of took away from somewhere else i'm like i bet i better get on my grind this month you right. know and that's what's helped push me a little bit to like you know uh get ahead but the, i find the every dollar app very useful some people might use some other budgeting apps but mm-hmm. i highly recommend using a budgeting app and literally every time you spend something like oh i went to a grocery store i spent 87 dollars. okay goes in the grocery line right and because there's there's expenses that are going to be consistent whatever your rent your mortgage you know, your electricity is kind of, kind of being the same range ish, right? Yeah. Your cable, internet, whatever it is that you have, your cell phone, that stuff's going to be consistent. Your taxes, like, you know, your property, you have that, right? All that stuff, you, you need a budget for that. I have a budget for gifts. I, I have a, a few lines in there for gifts because I know like, all right, over the course of the year, I'm going to spend a few hundred dollars on gifts. All right. Or, you know, so I take that and I just divide it by 12. So mm-hmm. if I, I don't spend it in a month, it gets invested. And then whatever, when I do I have to spend it, the lines in there anyway, or I have it in savings somewhere, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I, that's just helped me see things clearer. And, you know, his theory is more like a budget gives you permission to spend. A lot yeah. of people look at a budget as restrictive. Mm-hmm. Like, gosh, wait, you're saying I only have $150 to eat out that month? As opposed to looking at like, I just gave myself $150 worth of my budget to eat out during the month. That's a good reframe. That's a great reframe. Right. So you want to give yourself permission in certain areas to spend. But again, it goes back to what do I have to pay first? pay the stuff first that's the, the important whether in this case it's if it's a child support the rent or mortgage the insurance like what do i need you know the light the water like light yeah. water food shelter right and, and in this case like you're adding child support all that's got to get paid first then what's up right well what's going into paying for my other necessities and then you know retirement all that stuff pay yourself first yeah. and then do your budget so i try to advise i try to advise that but I've had to get more organized because now where I know where money is going and I know where it's not going as opposed to like, hmm, I think I got $500 in the month to invest. Yeah. Well, do you really? Now you look, you just, you have 850, like 
now that 350 is sitting in my checking account getting a quarter of a percent interest. Why? Yeah. What do you, it's, uh, been fun. it's been fun. I enjoy numbers that way. Right. Yeah. What, uh, so, I mean, I guess besides you, you mentioned Dave Ramsey and Susan Orman by name. Is there any other, I guess, sort of, I, so that was clothes. a little more like, like beginner kind of stuff. I mean, Susie Orman's yeah. not on television anymore anyway. Right. And again, a lot yeah. of people don't subscribe to like her theories. I just, when I was younger, it got me in the mindset of like how to kind of handle, at least handle money, even mm-hmm. though I didn't really invest, which is like, you got to handle it. And I like Dave Ramsey for the fact of like, he's good at helping people, I think, get out of debt because again, like you really have to kind of be real with yourself. I'm not that religious, but some people like, he's definitely like too evangelical Christian for some people. Like yeah. it's too much for some people, but I think some of his core tenants are, are good investment principles. Um, uh, there's a guy on Twitter called the white coat investor. Um, mm-hmm. And so he deals more with doctors, but again, his advice is really good because what are doctors dealing with? So many doctors are dealing with a ton of debt and getting out of debt. Yeah. And you have doctors with these big salaries but a lot of them inflate their lifestyle so much that they, they don't clear their debt because they're like, oh, I got a doctor job. Now I just got out of residency. So now I got my first job and maybe I'm making 150, 200. Now I got to have the Mercedes, like the doc, the senior doctor. But you don't realize like, hey, that person's been dealing for 20 years. They might have mm-hmm. a ton saved up. They can pay that in cash. You just went into debt again for a $65,000 car for what reason? Like what's wrong, like what's wrong with the used car you were driving? Like yeah. no one cares, right? So he, his is a lot about like how to manage that and then manage the taxes and the investing. He told a lot about on his site and I've learned a lot from this site. I even learned like about tax loss harvesting, which mm-hmm. I've figured out a way to do that to save money on my taxes. I, and again, I'm not an accountant. Like I can't give, like I'm not licensed to give advice on that. But if you look at the concept of tax loss harvesting, okay. But when we had that big downturn in March last year, mm-hmm. I just swapped one mutual fund for another. You take the loss on paper. And right now you get to write that down. I didn't know that until about two, three years ago. So I've had paper losses, not real losses. Did you take them on paper? And now you can take that off your, your taxes, right? So just reading has saved me money. Yeah. Um, and so now I'm, I'm more aware of the ta- effect. And like you start to learn what people who like make more money do and how they keep it. And this isn't like a Republican or Democrat thing. This is like, do you understand the basic tax laws? Yeah. I don't understand all the complexities of it because I don't have like full expertise. I'd like to someday, right? But understand how money works, understand how compound interest works, how understand how investing consistently works. And then also understand like, how can I shield some of it from my taxes? Okay, can I, can I put more in free tax? Okay, that's going to cut down the amount of salary I'm taxed on. Okay, can I do some tax laws harvesting somewhere? Oh, do I have a real estate investment? Okay, what can I what can I deduct, right? Or like I do a lot of small business, so I do a lot of e-com. I, I do a lot of reselling, which you might, well, if you follow me on Twitter, I, I talk a lot about it, right? And so over the last few years, I've done a lot of like, you know, garage sale, thrift store type flip and make a lot mm-hmm. of money that way. But also now because it's like uh, business expenses, now there's certain things I can write off that I can't. All my money, the, obviously my costs and all this stuff I can take off there's other expenses really that I wouldn't normally be able to take off on my taxes. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now that I'm more efficient and organized with that, again, you're, you know, you're able to better protect some of your profits that you're making off that. Yeah. That's important to know if you're investing for sure. It is, it is. And I'm, I'm, I'm really a big fan of the side hustle that folks can get it in because um, I, I don't know. I think it's liberating. Yeah. I, yeah, I can I just, I can, I can go, I can go hunt it myself. 
Yeah, that's huge. That's super huge. What uh, what do you think about? I guess uh, like Bitcoin and stuff like that. Some people have made money off it, but it's not for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I think that's something that people had to be an early adopter in. Mm-hmm. I remember like 2017, 18, maybe a few of my students came up to me and they were like investing in it and they made a lot of money. I was like, wow. Like it was when it made, when it made that run like up to like, not that crazy run up to like 20,000, but maybe you made a run up to like five, six, seven, eight thousand. I was like, dude, yeah. take profit, sell. Like you'll never make that much on a stock. So no, I'm going to hold it. I think he might've gotten out at like 15, right? Like he made, mm-hmm. there was like two of them that were like really into it. Um, here's what I think on a larger level, right? There's no underlying fundamentals for Bitcoin, Ethereum, fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. It's all being pushed up because you have to find the next person that's willing to pay a higher price. Now, yeah. some people can say that about stocks, but the thing is with stocks, these are actually company, actual companies that are producing products and profits or losses. And this stuff has to be publicly communicated. While some people say, well, it could be manipulated. I'm sure there is some, you know, yeah, right, yeah, some absolutely. level of manipulation. Yeah. Um, a lot of these other altcoins are just being pumped and dumped. So if you were earlier, if you got in early, if your buy price was low, just like GameStop, yeah, you probably made a lot of money. Right. I would be comfortable telling people to get in. If people want to mess with like 5% of their portfolio and that makes life exciting for you, go ahead. Like at this point, I, I just, I don't want it because like, I'm not really looking for that fast, that fast buck. And I really don't know what the long term is. But I don't want to be in a, a security that like, think about it, uh, Elon Musk got on television and said something yeah. about Bitcoin and it tanked. Yeah. I mean, I've he did that to his own that. stock a few years ago, right? That was probably the buying opportunity for Tesla. But like, it's too volatile where if he could get on and it drops 20, 30% because he said something negative about it. Like. I, I don't want to be an investment that one person can dump that much. Yeah. And then what happens when, I don't know, when everybody starts to sell because they, they want to cash out or Bitcoin lost its opportunity or it gets deregulated. Like we haven't got to a point where this stuff's gotten regulated yet. Right. So if there's some yeah. level of regulation on this now, what happens? Right. Because is it being used to shield uh, uh, illicit activity? When I first read about Bitcoin, it was the whole Silk Road of the Internet. That's where I heard yeah. it being used. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is to use to buy like weapons and prostitutes and things like that. <laughs> right, because that's right. what it was being used for at one point. And then there were a few places in San Francisco that kind of tried to take it as payment, but it was like really difficult to use. And same thing with Ethereum. I'm not saying it's being used illegally. Like until we really find out what's behind it, I can't get, I can't personally tell people confidently like you should get into crypto. Right. Yeah. Once it be, again, once it becomes locker room talk, water cooler talk, run. But the first time when Bitcoin blew up a few years ago and my ex's like neighbors were like, oh, I just put in a Bitcoin like 18 and then it dropped literally in a week to like 10. Yeah. I was like, this is like I, I, the hype was already out. It's the same thing with sports card. I've been to sports cards like a lot. I write about them a lot for my column with Forbes and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of them has been pumped up and. I think, again, if you were in it early, great. But if you're trying to chase, all sports cards are based on, I don't, I do have some like nearby, but like, uh, I don't really have like a shiny fancy one, right? But like, it's just, can I get it to you for the next higher amount and you get it to the next person higher amount? But yeah. there's no underlying fundamental that's driving, like what's driving this piece of cardboard other than I think it's going to go up in value and I think I can get you to pay more for it. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, if you take a player like Zion Williamson or like Lamelo Ball is like really popular right now, all people are doing is speculating like they're going to be really good, but I can't put that big of an investment in somebody who's an ACL uh, injury away from being like Jason. Well, Jason Williams got in a bad accident or Bobby Hurley, right? But like, yeah, you're an ACL injury from being like Antonio McDice. Like mm-hmm. McDice was great. What happened? Yep. He got hurt. Kenya Martin, great, got hurt. Yep. You know, so fill in a blank of like players that like were really good, got hurt, and now their cards are like literally there's no value to them anymore. But maybe for a year or two, they were really pumped up. I, I don't want to be in something unless I got in earlier so cheap that I can hit the rise and then get out. Yeah. Right. But then, are you know, are you collecting or just day trading it? If you're day trading it, fine. But that's the same idea behind Bitcoin. It's the same idea behind Ethereum, all that. It's just you're just getting you're trying to move it on to the next person will pay more for it mm-hmm. with no real value behind it other than i think it's worth more than what you have it for yeah so i guess sort of speaking of the whole risk angle you mentioned Mm -hmm. being skeptical about i guess jumping into stocks to begin with um and you mentioned like watching jim kramer and stuff and not not pulling the trigger what actually convinced you to to pull the trigger when you finally jumped in uh i think a lot more reading helped me just see like, okay, there's maybe as not as much risk in wild scale investing as I initially thought. I also was able again, my mom passing, just look more calmly at what I had and be like, I have enough. Mm-hmm. Like, right. I have enough where I'm going to be okay. Taking whatever it is, you know, 10, 20% of the cash I have and putting it in. And even if it gets cut in half, like, oh, gosh, I'm still only down really 10% of my money. Like, all right, that's not that big of a deal. Oh, and by the way, my salary is going up because I'm working longer and all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Once I really started to look at that, and then also, again, the advantages of, like, investing more in, like, my retirement accounts, because I'm like, geez, do I really want to do this teaching thing for another, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 years? I may not. If I can get to a number that I'm comfortable with, fine, I'll have enough time in a pension where it's like, I can be out, find something else, or have enough money to, like, bridge, right? which it's kind of like in the back of my head, but I'm not there yet, but I'm like trying to go for that. Like, can I do this for three more years, have enough to just bridge and then just be like, just work independently, right? Healthcare is the, the big thing, right? That's the hardest yeah, of thing course. for everybody to, you know, yeah. to do that. But so that's what I saw. I had enough of, I had enough of a safety net. I had too much of a safety net. I started reading and realized that inflation was killing that safety net that I had and that I'd be better off investing. And then as I started reading more, I realized that like, I'm taking uh, uncompensated risk in investing in single stocks. I'm concentrating my risk in one, one asset for what reason? Like, mm-hmm. why not spread it out? I, then I don't have to manage it. I just every right. month put in as opposed to like looking at the gyrations of like stock. All right, should I buy today? No, no, wait, it might go down a little more. It might go down a little more. Like initially I was in like that or it might go up like, all right, so no, oh, I might keep going up. And then, oh, what happened? It went down 5% the next day, right? Yeah. So this is what I'm saying with the emotion most people can't really deal with. Oh no, I'm stoic BS. Like, like <laughs> right. we really aren't. Like we yeah. really aren't. So the more you can diversify and think about this is just a really long time term thing. As long as you don't need the money for at least the next three years, it's gotta be in the market. If you need it for more three years, like the next three years, because you're like maybe planning to buy a home or like a new car, that should be in cash. What you know that you can tolerate for more than three years out in the stock market, because I think like if they did an analysis, I think the S&P 500 over any three year period, it's gone up uh, at least 68% of the time. And if you get out to like five, five years, it's like 90 that you're going to, you, you'll come out ahead. 
right? So once I started seeing that, I'm like, hmm, I like those odds. Yeah. Have you heard of a, what's his name? Uh, Mr. Money Mustache? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. He talks about, I think it's the S&P 500 index funds all the time. Of he course. said like, that's, yeah, he said that's like the best thing. That, or and look, the, the total stock market index is, is basically the same thing, except instead of like 500, you have like the top 3000, right? So it yeah. gives you a little more exposure to like what they call small caps, the smaller mm -hmm. companies. The, 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 the percent change between those two things is relatively negligible. I like the, the total stock market. So Vanguard, that's the ETF of that is VTI. I like that a little more than S&P 500, which is VOO. And then if you look at like their, uh, their mutual fund equivalents, I forget what the Vanguard S&P 500 is, but like the total stock market is VTSAX. Like I, I like it just a little more because it's uh, the fee might be like literally like one, like 0.01 less. Like, and you don't pay that fee up front. It comes out of the returns. You never see it as a line item, right? Mm -hmm. So when you talk about the fees on like index funds, it just comes out of the total, like the price going up and down. It doesn't, you don't, you don't want the end of the year get billed for that, right? It took me like a year to understand that as well, right? So uh, I like the total stock market because there's a little more exposure, but if you run like the historical comps, it might be like a half of like a half of a percent or like a tenth of a percent, maybe difference. It's not a large difference between, you're fine in either one. Mm -hmm. It's a fact that your risk is diversified. Um, right. What happens is, you know, people get into like very recent theory, like, oh, I invested in Square and it shot up a ton. So now every stock's going to do that. Well, I'm yeah. so good. I picked uh, I picked the FANG stocks. I picked Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, Apple. I must be a genius investor. If you pick those stocks over the last five years, you, you outpace the market by a ton. Right? But like, mm -hmm. or did you just get lucky and pick them at the right time? Like, can you do that with another five random stocks or did you just pick the five biggest companies? Yeah. Right. And then what to say Zuckerberg does something foolish and now Facebook takes a hit or Netflix has a drop in subscribers, right. Or Google, whatever, you know, it's not fashionable anymore as a search engine, which I don't think is going to happen for yeah. time soon. Right. But yeah. whatever it is that can happen to really dump that, why do I want that much concentration in one stock? Especially when those stocks anyway comprise a large percentage of the S and P five hundred anyway, like by weight, mm -hmm. you're gonna you're gonna they're gonna make up like 20 percent of like the S and P five hundred fund. I might be like over by a little bit, but they're a large percentage of a fund. Like those five are gonna be in the top 10, 10 funds that are in S and P five hundred fund anyway. So you they're gonna comprise let's say like I don't know some of the funds might have Amazon might make up like eight to ten percent of some of those funds or Microsoft. So you're going to own a big chunk of it anyway in, in the S&P 500. Why not have yeah. your risk diversify? I don't want to look at my portfolio that much. Yeah. That, I mean, that's where all the stress comes from, looking at it all the time. And what, what, hey, and what You can't control it. Let's go back to what you control. Sports also yeah. taught me that too. What can I control? I start spending time worrying about everything I can't control. Now when I'm at the plate, I'm going to get fooled by a pitch because I'm thinking about this guy so good. Oh, God, his pitch has so much movement. Oh, da -da 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 -da. oh my batting average. No, dude, see ball hit the wall. All right, what is this guy's tendency? Have, were you watching the last nine at-bats before you got up from the dugout, right? Yeah. That I can focus on. I can only control myself. So why am I going to focus so much with investing? What I control? I, can, I control really what? When I buy, when I sell. And then quantity. How much? Oh, and how and the frequency, right? There's not much mm -hmm. else we can control. I can't control what moves CEOs make. Yeah.
right? So why subject yourself to that? There's other things we need to be spending our time on than that, right? Do I really want to put in all the research necessary to be a stock picker? People get paid big money and can't beat the S&P 500 right. consistently, right? Why do I want to put in all that time? Now, do I want to get more financially literate? Yes, which is why, like I said, I've been reading more books, websites, some of the people you've referenced, I've referenced, right? Because now I'm making better financial decisions, mm -hmm. right? That's that's how it just gives me options. Money gives you options. Yeah. That's that's money gives you options. That's like the big thing. And then you start saying like, where can I find a fit? You know, monies can pay for efficiencies. Money can free up time. I can have my groceries delivered. Mm -hmm. I can have somebody come clean my house. I don't have someone come clean. I should, but I like don't, right? <laughs> but like, do I really want to spend three hours in a salary cleaning yet? Probably not. But, you know, at some point, do I have enough money coming in where like, should I pay somebody a hundred bucks to do that or whatever it costs? That like, because now I can bounce for three hours and go get some stuff done. Yeah. Or why wait at the grocery store for an hour when I can do it 15 minutes online and then it, it shows up before work, yeah. right? Like, yeah. do, is that worth the $10 once a week to do that? It might be. But if I have some extra money coming in, that can buy me time, then I'll go go shopping for stuff that I can make money on, mm -hmm. or whatever. Be with my kid, or you know, whatever. Take him or her to training, or go explore the thing that I want to do. Yeah. Or date, or or be back in a relationship, right? Because I need that two hours to go meet that that woman for a drink. You know what I mean? Tomorrow night, right? I need that two hour summer night schedule. So if I take it out of tonight and I have to do some stuff with that, how do I get the two hours back? I got to buy it. Yeah. Or say no to something else. Right. So if there's anybody listening right now that is like, all right, I'm going to start investing. Like, what would you say that you need to have and do before you actually start investing? Like, Good question. We, so we, let me preface this by again. This is this is general advice. I'm not licensed to give financial advice. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm going to say general steps. I think the first thing is you need to make sure that you have an emergency fund of at least six months of expenses. How do we find out our expenses? That's why I go back to the budgeting app. Literally for a month, maybe write down everything that you spend money on. Um, find what are your really stable stuff that like, I need this to get through a month and then probably add 10% to that, right? Because of stuff happening. Yeah. So let's say that number is $5,000 a month. Okay, so if that number is 5,000 a month for you, then you need 30,000 away before you start investing because life happens. I learned that over the last six months, life happens. I had a pet pass away. It was a lot of vet bills. I got sick, a lot of doctor's visits. I got injured, a lot of rehab, like physical therapy, rehab. Um, when I got injured recently, like I couldn't really walk that much. So I had to have stuff delivered. I had to have friends come out. I had to outsource stuff. I couldn't do my like side business stuff because I couldn't really get out the house to go source for that, right? Mm -hmm. So you needed some extra money in case that happens. Once you have that, then um, I would start looking at making sure you are investing uh, uh, in your retirement. Uh, and so I would find out if my workplace has a match. Uh, I would definitely take at least up to the match. Um, and again, you're going to have to see what you can afford out of your budget. So if your budget is $5,000 a month of your expenses, but you're making your net is eight. What are you doing with that $3,000 difference? All right, you should be building up your emergency fund. So what do you do if you have your emergency fund? After that, then I say anything above your emergency fund needs to be invested. Um, if you start workplace, I like it because it's automated. I think people need to check the fees of their 401k or 403b plan. Are they in really high fee programs? 
If your job doesn't have that, you can open an IRA with any of the brokerage, you know, a Fidelity, a Vanguard, whatever it is. I'm not a fan of Robinhood. I mean, it allows people to buy like portions of shares, but they've really gamified it too much where you're paying too much attention to it. Yeah. Um, but it works if it works for some people, like it's been investing consistently, right? Whatever works for you. Um, when it comes to retirement investing, I think, you know, there's there's income limits that you 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 you're not eligible after a while to like open a traditional IRA. So if you make really big money, you, you know, then there's something called like a backdoor Roth IRA, which you'd have to go look up like the mechanics if you did want to contribute to a Roth. Um, some people have the choice of if they're investing, they might be able to do a 401k before tax at work. And then also because they're still under limits, invest in a Roth, which I do both, mm -hmm. right? So that I'm able to get that Roth is money that you can access tax free in retirement. Uh, and then the 401k is pre-tax. You don't pay tax now, but you pay tax on it, you know, afterwards. Yeah. Uh, if you have money after you've kind of matched your retirement accounts, then I would open a taxable account with like a Vanguard, Fidelity, et cetera. And that's where you start looking for your, you know, your S&P 500 funds, et cetera. But you probably will be in those anyway in your retirement accounts anyway. They just might have, depending on the company that your job uses, if you go into your workplace, you might be limited on what funds. Um, I would look on the Bogleheads Wiki. They actually have like the best funds to pick from, from like all these different like advisors. If like, oh, we're limited to like TD Ameritrade. So what are like the best funds that I can use on TD Ameritrade? But now like most of the major brokerage anyway, like took away their fees. Like they're all competing with each other. So like you could buy a Vanguard fund on TD Ameritrade and not pay the $7 a trade anyway now, right? Like mm -hmm. ETF trades, I think for them are like free. So that's how, but some people might be in, in 401k programs that are like, they're using just fund like funds you know that are like uh like really high fees two three four percent that's ridiculous like you, you got to get out of those or find the lowest ones in that um so that's what i would say, I would say first so let me see if i can try to do steps um clear debt let me go back one clear debt right so if you have debt then i think that's where i kind of subscribe to dave ramsey focus on paying down your debt mm -hmm. Um, if you do have some workplace investing, then maybe you take whatever the minimal minimum is that you could be that you like. So if you have to be in the plan at like 3%, I would say be in the plan at 3%. So you have some money in there and then start tackling your debt. Now, if you get past your debt, build an emergency fund of at least six months of expenses. And like I said, overestimate your expenses by about 10%. Once you have that, then it's time to start pumping up your workplace investment up to like what you can tolerate. If you can get past that, then I would say start invest in a taxable account and, and fill those. So fill the buckets that way. Um, I think that always, that's usually works for, for most people, you know, to go in, in that route first. Uh, because again, the tax advantages of like the workplace investing, right? If you're yeah. investing pre-tax, your taxable income goes down, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and like in our case, like let's say I only had access to a Roth. I could only contribute, um, uh, I think, 6000 a year right now. But if I go through my job and I do the Roth, I have access to do $19,000 a year in a 401k Roth. That's a mm -hmm. big difference of what's available you know, to, to, to invest. So you could potentially put away a lot more money going through your work employer as opposed to having a standalone if you, if you do. But not everybody is at a job that has access to a plan. Yeah. And one thing they offer at my company too, um, we have, you know, employee stock purchase plans where we can buy the stock at a pretty significant discount. So 
I think they you offer know, it twice yeah. a year. So if you that, can do so that and then sell, I, you're coming out ahead you know, already. I have arguments with my sister. She's she works for a big company and they give that. And I, again, I go back to concentrated risk mm -hmm. of you're you're putting a lot of your eggs in your basket if you're doing a huge employee stock purchase because. I think what, like, did she explain to me, like, all right, they'll give it to you, like, at a 15% discount or whatever it is, like, the lowest price it was during that period or something like that. You get it at some sort of a discount. Yeah. But if you look at the beta of that stock during the year, it's going to go up and down that 15% at some point, probably. Mm -hmm. So how much how much of an advantage are you really getting? You're also, again, concentrating a lot of your risk in the company. So right. do you really want that much risk in your company as opposed to being spread out and then for some places there's restrictions on that right like vesting and how much you can take out and all that other stuff. so how much do you really want to be in your company you're putting a big bet on the place where you work and again if things go sideways you're going to take a huge huge a much larger loss than if things go sideways in a larger market yeah i hadn't right? thought of and it that way but that does make sense yeah it could be susceptible to like um uh uh like category risk like in the sense of so if your company is in, I don't know, let's just say financials mm -hmm. and one or two of the big financial companies get hammered, like Goldman Sachs or what have you, right? The JP Morgan, right? I hope you support three of them, but like no. they say they happen to get hammered. <laughs> Guess what? All the other financials are going down with them because they're all in the same ETFs. So your company might not have did anything wrong, but because like JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs kind of had like bad quarters or something negative happened, yeah. you might be called your, and guess what? That might be the time that you need to access that money. Yeah. So I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of employee stock purchases. That's me personally, again, because of concentrated risk. If you want to use a small percentage of your portfolio, like great, because you get it out. But again, also have like some sort of exit strategy in your head of like, am I just going to hold on to this to retirement? You might be able to. But what happened to everybody at General Electric? Like, look, look what happened to their stock price. Plummeted. Yeah. And, and it was a longstanding huge company. But right, it went to like under 10 bucks at some point. I haven't looked at it recently, right? Because yeah. they cut their dividend because they couldn't keep paying their dividend. So like, imagine you thought, oh, I worked at GE for like 30 years and now I've accumulated $300,000 in stock. And in a few months, it got cut to 150. Oh, wait, I can't retire now? Yeah. <laughs> but that happened. But how many people right. worked for GE thought that wasn't going to happen? Yeah. Sure so, I did. mean, that's that's just like one example. And other like, well, I worked for Apple. Look what happened to Apple, right? So. Yeah. Again, people will use that to kind of justify the argument. All right, if you want a little, if that makes you sleep easier at night, you want some in your company because that makes you feel better, go ahead. I would not like have a majority of my retirement in, investing yeah, exactly. in my company. That it, you're asking, you're asking for it to happen. Yeah, I agree. I think a little bit's okay, but yeah, I wouldn't want to put everything there. Yeah, but some people do because they see I'm getting it at a discount. I'm like. But you could get the general stock market at a discount basically if you invest every month because some months it's going to. Right, right. Like you'll get it up and you'll get it down. Like eventually, right? It, that's why I said it's efficient. Eventually kind of, you know, comes that way. So, but it's been, a, it took, I think for everyone who's listening or if they're still listening, if you're still hanging out with us, you know, piece of the gods and earth, right? Like <laughs> if you're still listening, but I would say, you have to let go of some of the fear of the market dropping. It's going to drop. And when you look at the market dropping as an opportunity to maybe put more money in, I'm not mm -hmm. saying time the market, just have like, if, so I have some people also subscribe to like, you should have an emergency fund and an opportunity fund. Like 
maybe you have your six months in, in emergency and then maybe you have another 10K in opportunity for that March 2020 when the market tanks, you yeah. put another 10 in, right? So anytime I see the market go down like five or 10%, if I have a few thousand extra, like I just put it in. Mm-hmm. On top of what I would normally put in because I'm like, oh, that's a buying opportunity. I've learned to look at it that way because I have a longer horizon. And, and I don't hard need that money right now because I have my uh, emergency fund. Yeah, Emergency fund creates peace of mind, dude. That's, it's, it's huge. It allows you to really invest because now you're not worrying about like, oh gosh, now I only have $1,000 left in my checking account. And you know, look, we've all been there, right? Yeah. Right? So you, we know how rough of a place that is. That's not really the time to be in the stock market. If you're, if it, you're living that close and if folks are living that close, right? Like this sounds judgmental. And this is, this is more of a Dave Ramsey thing. It's like, all right, we have to figure out ways to make more money. This was like a Gary Vaynerchuk thing. I yeah. love Gary V. And I don't know if you know, like I interviewed Gary, uh, maybe about six months ago, like during the, during the fall, I was able to interview Gary Vaynerchuk. Right. No, so, I didn't know that. I, yeah. So I had about a 20 minute interview. It was about sports cards. I'll send you a link later. Right. So. Gary and I talk, but I've been listening to Gary for the last few years. And Gary's also pushed me to do more of the side side business thing, mm-hmm. right? How to figure out how to flip, how to figure out margin, you know, you know, buying stuff for literally $10 and selling for a hundred. Well, you do that a few times a month, you're up a thousand dollars. And it's, it's actually a lot easier than you think, right? It's easy to pick up some new shoes or some video games or some, you know, a DVD VCR player people don't want, right? Like it's, it, it's out there. But a lot of people don't want to do because they feel like, oh, it's grimy. Oh, I don't have time for yeah. that. Oh, that's only $50. I'm like, yeah, but if I do that, like if I have something that turns $50 every single day, which now is getting close to that, do the math. It's $1,500 at the end of the month. Yeah. A lot of people yeah, be like, a... I'd like $1,500 after the end of the month. Of course. Right? So Gary's pushing me that where it's like, all right, if I don't have money, enough money to do what I want to do, how do I go get more money? He's like, work, dumbass. Like, go out and find ways, like go flip stuff. I was like, all right, I'm going to like go flip stuff. And guess what? It works, but it's not for everybody. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I still write on the side that gets me paid. You know, like there's other things that I do. Like I had people step to me twice this week for my blog. They wanted to do some of my website. I made a few hundred dollars off of like literally putting a few links and some stories on my personal site. Mm-hmm. Like I'll take that money. I didn't have to do a lot for it. So there's always ways to make extra money, but people look around and they, they look narrow. They look scarce. The last few years, whether it's finances, like not even the, some back in like the dating world, like I, even though in your forties, it's different. I still yeah. have to feel like, look and think like there's, there's, I'm in New York city. There's still millions of people here. There's still a lot of people who are single for whatever reason in our age range, because maybe they're out of a relationship, a marriage, whatever it is, or they got close and didn't get there. Right. So when I see that, like, Hey, there's competition, but like, you can't be everywhere at once. So there's always going to be opportunity somewhere to pick something up off of Facebook marketplace, a garage sale, a thrift store, because you, no one's spending every hour, every day, every place. So there's right. opportunity. So if you're willing to do it and go and get it, you can get yourself ahead to get to that point where you can start investing more. And then, you know, even like your case, you said like, Hey, I went back to school. I got a degree. Eventually things started to work out. And then I started to get raises and I started to move along. Why? Because you did stuff to move the needle. Um, and Dave Ramsey will be blunt. He'd be like, dude, you got a car? You'll start delivering pizzas at night. Yeah. Right? What? Because it's not deliver papers anymore. Uber Eats, DoorDash. I mean, they don't get paid that. Like, well, some people can make like, good money. Other people don't. But deliver, pa- be um, 
Amazon has those jobs where like you can use your own car to deliver packages. Yeah. I heard they get paid mm-hmm. 20, 30, 40 an hour to do that. Wow. That's actually right. So if someone's sitting around and you're listening to this and you're like, yo, I need more loot. Dude, look for it. Yeah. There's always a way. Like you got a car, put that to work. Oh, I'm going to put miles and wear on it. All right. Put, put another hundred, two hundred dollars a month away for it. So that when you have that repair thing, you have the $500,000 or pay for it. And it's just like, Oh, that sucks, but that's it. Mm-hmm. So look for ways to get stuff done as opposed to excuses. Um, I love listening to Blueprint, his podcast, Super Duty Tough Work. Blueprint talks a lot about business. I would love, like, even if you're not a musician or creative, like, listen. The, the rapper Blueprint? Small, what's that? The rapper Blueprint? Yes. The rapper producer? I didn't know he yes. had a podcast. Oh. Great podcast called Super Duty Tough Work Podcast. Talks a lot about business and entrepreneurship and, the you know, struggles of being an indie artist. But I've learned a lot from him because he's also, like, in that same mentality of, like, Hey, I'm a one man show. I got to figure out like how to like get everything working and, and be, you know, he's written a few books and talks about, you know, like just really being productive and getting stuff done and being proactive and being about your business. And I think, you know, we all could be in the business of ourselves. Yeah. Right. So I'm, I'm the CEO of Nick Deonti. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm a teacher and that's great. Uh, You know, I get a decent salary doing that here in New York city. And I get some good money to coach and do that too. But there's other things I want to do. Okay. I still have like, I, you know, if I'm home from work, I'm not coaching I'm home at three o'clock, dude, what am I doing with those seven hours before I go to sleep? Yeah. But I, now I can do it at my own pace. So maybe it's something I enjoy doing where I'm writing or I'm, I'm at that thrift store, I'm at that garage sale, or I'm making some moves online to get something to flip and sell. Right. Mm-hmm. To me, that's just like entertaining. And, and right now, it's just, it's Operation like Stackola. I forgot it was album. Was it the Loonies? Was that their yeah. album? But like, <laughs> right? Yeah. This is, this is what the last like two years have been. Okay, things are a little slow with COVID. Okay, am I going to cry that I lost $25,000 the last year not coaching, which I did? Or am I going to figure out a way to get on, get on my grind and, and find a way to make that back? And guess what? I probably like doubled that. Or I'm going to wind up doubling that mm-hmm. between the, over the course of two years, right? I'm like, oh, wait, I can make more doing this than coaching. It's pretty amazing. Right? Yeah. So, and I could do it on my own time. I don't have to be at the JOB to do it. Yeah. It's That's what I'm saying. It's like, it's liberating. So for anyone listening, if you're struggling, you know, sit down, be real with yourself and really find out how can you go and get it. And when you start to sit and think in a clear head, ideas will come to you I and mean, you don't even have to reinvent the wheel Just, you know start delivering stuff yo i don't drive okay well what can i make money with that doesn't involve me driving do you have a skill can you get on fiverr and do something there's people that make mad loot off of fiverr doing freelance stuff mm-hmm. you know like people say oh start a podcast start a website i mean i think it's really crowded in those spaces but yeah hey somebody's got to do it Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, everything you said was spot on. <laughs> All of it. I mean, it's, this is just stuff I learned, but I wish I had I wish I had someone younger to really push on me because I knew I have the capability because I mm-hmm. had it from playing ball. This all this all comes back to what did I learn from playing ball? I yeah. like I know that somewhere there's capability in me to do more mm-hmm. with whatever it is I'm doing. So how do we find the unlock for that? It's here. It's in your heart, right? You, you have to let go of the fear of like, what if? 
fuck what if yeah how much shit did we miss by saying well what if this goes bad what if this goes wrong too much and guess what it's probably going to go a little wrong right i lost money on certain stuff early on okay all right don't do that do this do that oh that's not really worth it or that took too long to make a profit on or whatever it is right Mm -hmm. or like oh wait i could optimize things by doing this and that in a third or like i spent a few hundred dollars on this label printer here it's like it's now taking so much time out of the situation just by like investing $200 in a printer that like literally spits out address labels. I'm like, Oh God, this is so much better. So save me about 10 minutes every time I got to mail something. Yeah. You learn and like, Oh gosh, $200 for a printer. I'm like, yeah, big deal. I'll make that next month. Like it'll pay for itself just in the time efficiency. Yeah. Right. So we can't be spared to scared to spend money and time on ourselves. And it doesn't, you know, you get the internet's awesome resource, so much stuff out there for free. Yeah, that's you don't want to pay to take somebody's course. That's right. Like, and you know, with your daughter with like soccer, like again, you know, try to be like an educated consumer with this stuff. Like, because I, I had a we had a student a few years ago who was a division one soccer player. Right. You know what happened after during her freshman year, the mother was like, I'm getting offers from D1 schools. Can you help me? Because I have no idea what to do. And so I, that was my first time dealing with a freshman that was getting D1 offers. I had to start doing some reading. And I, I said, hey, this is like trying to accept your prom date your freshman year. Don't be so quick to commit. Yeah. And I watched their journey. It was interesting, but man, they were traveling all over the place for this college, like this single college is showcase. They were going all the way out west. They were going here, there, missing school, this, that, and the third. She wound up getting a scholarship, but not to like the big name schools that they thought initially were interested because mm-hmm. I realized those school casts, not, they cast a, a, a wide net within D1 candidates, right? Yeah. So it could be that in a year or two, like some coach could come up to you during, after a ninth grade club season, be like, hi, we're from, like, are you in Ohio? I forget. No, I'm just outside of DC. DC. Okay. So, yeah. right. That's like a pretty big hotbed. So it could be very realistic that, like, something, I'm the coach at American University. Mm-hmm. We're interested in offering your daughter a scholarship, like, after ninth grade. Like trying to don't don't take it that far, but it's yeah. you, we don't know right how good she can be, but in in women's sports it does actually start that early, and you know it's not this whole D one or bust. There's scholarships at Division two where you yep. can go to a really nice school and play. There's some great Division three schools that are have excellent programs. It's just you're gonna probably have to be like a really top student, you know, to do it to get like big money from them. But um. You know, and then some people might not want to commit to D one. They might want to go to D three, where it's a little best, a little bit less games, a little bit like less, and like you could probably be more of a student athlete, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's still fun part. Does she still enjoy it? Does she find challenges? But people are going to start coming up if she's good enough, like fourteen. Like, hi, we're from the assistant coach at you know UNC. We're interested in your daughter. But a lot of them are going to step to be like, we'd like for her to come to our her our ID camp. Most of those ID camps are fundraisers for their programs. So keep that in mind. Like, okay. it's one thing to go to a, like, she might want to go to a soccer camp this summer if that's in the cards financially for you. Like, hey, you know, I want to go to this week away camp or maybe you've done that already in the past. So we want to go to a team camp. Like, that could be cool. But when they start presenting as like, we want to get a better look at your your child, it's really a fundraiser. Yeah. I saw that with my baseball players too, where like, they're like, yeah, they want me to come out here for their like three-day camp. I'm like, you realize they're going to maybe sort of be paying attention to you. But whatever you're paying for them is paying for their spring trip to Florida. That's what it's paying for. That's good to know. 
Uh, so a lot of these like schools, when they stepped here, like we want you to come to our, our, our like ID camp or like individual camp for three days. We want to take a better look at your child. It's often the fundraiser. Mm -hmm. um, I would, I would really like, like, I'd really be like, Hey, we really need to sit down and talk about what you really see in my child. What potential do you see? Like, where do you see them fitting in their program before you just start? Because you could wind up sending her like 10 different camps and spend, you know, three, $400. Like you can spend a few thousand dollars easily doing this and nothing yeah. comes out of it. That's a waste. That's what I'm saying. And and kids are getting taken advantage of the parents or the, the whole landscape because it's like fear of missing out. Um, some of those like bigger ones aren't bad where like you're going and maybe there's 50 coaches that show up mm -hmm. and that might be worth it because there's more people like looking, but also now with club soccer, they're out at these big tournaments anyway. Yeah, that's right. Like I would just get better at taking video and getting like a video package together when you start getting like, if she wants to play college, like ninth, 10th grade that you're starting to get some, and there might be some people that might be worth paying a few hundred dollars to get help get it together. Maybe. Mm -hmm. But now with like the tech we have, you might be able to do it pretty yeah. well with the phone if you have enough like enough game footage. You know, all right here I have ten good minutes of her playing, and then I have a three minute highlight reel, and I have her vitals and her stats and her SAT scores or her PSAT scores or ACT scores. You have all that ready or her GPA. Like this is stuff they're looking at to see if she's, you know, a candidate. And coaches spend a lot of time looking at video because the days of like a scout showing up at your games are like are like low. They're not coming to like regular high school games too much anymore. I can tell you that mm -hmm. they are coming to some club matches. But again, if you think about it, they have limited resources. So right. a coach that is in Washington state is probably not coming out to the East coast to see your daughter, but they very easily could look online and watch a few minutes video when they're sitting in their office, not doing it, like not doing anything because it's uh it's December and it's a dead period. Why not sit and look at video? Yeah. Like all day. Mm -hmm. It's a great right, point. So the internet's made this a lot easier for everybody. Yeah, that's true. But be wary, man. Like, and I would tell the other parents too, because you you probably, if you're gonna be in this club thing, you're gonna see a lot of money thrown around. There's a lot of people with big money. Like, yeah. I don't know your situation, you know, but, but there's a lot of people with big money that's in this stuff. I'm talking about parents that are playing, that are just yeah. keep willing to throw money at it because they think that's the solution when it's like. Hey, are you, is your kid actually training? Is your kid lifting weights? Is your kid like working on their skills? Is your is right? Is your kid like doing the extra work? No, but if we have these high end uniforms, that's really going to make the difference. Yeah, my uh, there's a lot of a lot of money in the the two counties that are in the area I live in. I mean, it's all government contracting, so it's sure tons and tons of money out here so yeah that's I've, I've already seen it so yeah it's it's tough because you feel like am i doing enough for my my child and mm. you, let me say this just the little bit i met of you you are right thank you i and, appreciate that and you know and keep that in mind and it's not saying be a spendthrift if you can afford it and yeah. like look i want to make the journey comfortable for her great but also at the same token it's like hey could that money be better spent like instead of maybe like all right, we just finished the season tournament. Now another team wants to pick for like the tournament, tournament, tournament team. Yeah. And that's going to cost another 5000 Am I better off spending that on like um, maybe getting a personal trainer once or twice a week, right, for her and paying them whatever it is, 50, 60 an hour, 70 an hour, right, and spending $150 a week. Now that 5000 oh, wait, that's 30 weeks. Like that's that could be a really good resource to help her like not get injured, get stronger, develop 
yeah. skills and movement patterns that she's not using because soccer's stressing too much of the same pattern as opposed mm -hmm. to like paying like this extra bit to be on like this above team and then maybe she's playing half the time yeah that's a great right. point too yeah but no my child's on the 13u super select yeah but does he or she play no but they got a really nice travel bag <laughs> great <laughs> best five thousand dollar bag i've ever paid for that's right <laughs> Now look, some people got it, and that's the that's that's the inequities that we're living with, right? right You're going to be right. with some families who, you know, combined household income is three, four, five hundred thousand. They ain't sweating the five Gs. Yeah. Single parent, I don't you know, you know, I don't you be balling too, right? But like, it may not be as easy, right? Your numbers may not look that good. Where you're no, like, definitely not. Someone's going to hurt a little too much, right? To go yeah. to go and pay that. Um, exactly. Right. So. You're going to see family. I see that in volleyball all the time. It's like a really become a really like rich sport here in the city because gym time's expensive. And then that drives everything else. Oh yeah. yeah. Up, man. And I don't know, like it's, it's not easy. People want to keep up and they think they need to really throw more money at it. And I, I'd love for families to be more cautious of where they're throwing their money. Yeah. Well, shoot, man, this was an amazing conversation. I feel like I could keep going, but <laughs> I'm not yeah, too much of your time. Like two kids talking <laughs> on the phone, dude. Rich. Exactly. <laughs> well, I guess, uh, I mean, before we go, I guess, what, where can people find you? Uh, you mentioned a website. Um, I know your Instagram handle is at Examine Baseball, but sure, that's actually across all. I've, I've done it all across all social media. So, okay. Uh, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, uh, Facebook, um, YouTube, it's all examined baseball, right? So you can find me there, uh, on all those places. My personal website is baseballhappenings.net. Uh, I also have a column with Forbes sports. So if you put my name in Google, probably the first thing to come up is probably like my Twitter account and then my Forbes column. So you can look at there and they're all linked. They're all, all these things are cross linked. Uh, I run a podcast. It's basically like the interviews that I do for my Forbes column. I wind up taking mm -hmm. the audio and putting them up. Um, and that's the baseball happenings podcast, even though I've gotten a little, like there's some non-baseball on there. Um, I, you know, I, I put stuff up there as well and it bleeds into my YouTube channel and things like that. So, you know, that's where people can find me and, uh, you know, I'm in the New York city area. So, you know, folks want to meet up, right? Like I'm vaccinated. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> um, so that, you know, that, that helps, but, folks want to meet up i'm always down for you know to, to meet up with people i still think this whole internet thing is still about connecting with folks and uh yeah. i've really met some solid people uh off of twitter instagram and then you know meeting them irl in real life yeah uh, has been same. exciting too and and you know you find out there is a community of people who are interested in whatever hip-hop music baseball investing whatever it is and it's like hey people just kind of want to get along and, uh, you know, it's supposed to be some avatar behind the screen. It's like, nah, yo, when I'm down in Florida, we got to meet. And I've met heads down there like, yeah, yo, let's go for lunch or let's go play volleyball together, whatever it is. And you realize like, hey, I think a lot of us are closer together than farther apart. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. Anyone that feels, you know, uh, so motivated to reach out, please, please do. You'll get a mix of, you know, sports, music, investing. It's where it kind of sad. Yeah, if you're ever down this way, man, please do reach out. Lunch is oh. on me, dinner, whatever. Yeah, sure, definitely, man. And there you have it. 
Nick came through and dropped a ton of useful knowledge about personal finance and investing in that part of the episode. So, you know, if you weren't able to take notes, don't worry, because I, you know, took all the most important links and copied them in the notes below. So all you have to do is just go and click on them. And I also mentioned in the intro to the first episode, part one, that there was sort of an overarching theme that kept coming up. And that theme was, uh, I guess in finance terms, you can call it compound interest, but also just sort of, you know, taking skills that you, you know, formed in the past and built on those for use in the future. Um, you know, same, same basic theory, but it applies to a lot of aspects of your life. I just thought that was kind of interesting, you know, can apply in the financial realm as well as just, you know, everyday aspects of your life. You can take skills that you have and build on them as you learn new things. So just something to keep in mind as you're learning something new or, you know, trying to build something new or something like that. So, you know, thanks to Nick for coming through. Definitely learned a lot of helpful information. And I, you know, learned a lot of things myself too that I didn't know before. So it was great. Great to have him on. Super lucky to have him on. So if you think this episode can help anybody, you know, feel free to, you know, shoot them a note, send this episode to them so they can hear it. Um, if you listen on a platform that allows reviews, please leave a five star so we can keep this thing going and reach more people. And once again, I'm grateful for every one of you that tunes in. And I hope you're finding some useful knowledge out of all of these episodes. Um, got a few more interesting interviews coming up and some other solo episodes as well. So keep coming back in. I'll try to be more consistent and do this on more of a weekly basis. But, uh, you know, as all my single parents can attest, sometimes uh, timing and planning can be a little hectic. But anyway, thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the rest of your week. Catch you guys on the next episode.